You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Welcome to The Pivot Point, where we talk about all things pivot, all things business, and all things Vegas. I'm your host, Bardia. Let's get the ball rolling. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Pivot Point. I'm so excited for this episode today because with me I have an academic entrepreneur. Um, he is the executive director of the Troche Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation, Mr. Leith Martin. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So your background is pretty diverse, many different industries of business, including, I believe, construction and technology. Can you briefly tell us about your career story? Sure. Um, my undergraduate uh, degree is in engineering. Uh, I have an MBA. And when I got out of graduate school, um, offers were big companies. Mm -hmm. So it's like FedEx, Exxon, um, Intel. And honestly, I dreaded going to work every day in a big company. Um, mm -hmm. Just the thought of going and doing stuff that may or may not be relevant um, drove me crazy. Um, and so the director of my MBA program um, knew a guy through a club in Birmingham. I went to school at the University of Alabama. And um, he recommended I go meet with him. He just started a company. Um, and so I went and met with him and, um, it was, it was 1997. Um, he was 25 years older, um, laid the PNL on the table, said, I've been in business for a few months. Um, and I think there's an opportunity here. Uh, he offered me a commission only sales job. Mm -hmm. Um, so I turned down several offers from big companies to go to work wow, for a guy who nice. just moved his company out of his basement. And, uh, after the first year, I had done over a million in sales, and so he offered to sell me a part of the business um, and invited me to run the company. And um, we scaled that company pretty quickly to over $10 million in revenue. Um, I exited that company in 2010 after completing a program at the Harvard Business School mm -hmm. designed for people who run and own companies. Uh, I met a business partner there, moved to Vegas. We started another company. Um, I exited that company in 2016. That was a technology-based company. Um, and then got involved in UNLV in, uh, in 2016, uh, running the, tro the Troche Center. At the time, it was the Center for Entrepreneurship, but mm -hmm. uh, later we, uh, we received a naming gift. That's awesome. So what, what is it all about? So the Troche Center is designed, it's pretty inwardly focused on students. Mm -hmm. um, it's designed to provide students with experiences that, um, that mimic in some way what they might experience in the real world in regards to entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And we do that through lots of different methods. So we host regular competitions on ideas. So idea competitions, we host business competitions. Um, we host um, speaker series where we have entrepreneurs come and talk about their experiences, but we also have lots of individuals who come and talk about different parts of the business process, right? Mm -hmm. So how to give a pitch, um, how to um, um, create a personal brand online, um, all those kind of things. And then we also have a, a book club that typically every year we bring in someone oh, cool. who's written a book around entrepreneurship. We uh -huh. buy their books um, and we um, give them out to the students and then we invite the author to do a Q&A with the students at the mm -hmm. end. So. So we do lots of different things specifically designed for helping students understand what entrepreneurship is um, and maybe even increase the likelihood they might succeed based on some of those experiences. Um, 
Uh, we do a lot of mentorship. Mm-hmm. We have lots of students and teams who work with mentors. Um, and then we also do some other things around um, helping students and faculty determine the commercial viability of their ideas. Um, but but obviously everything is around entrepreneurship. Right, right. Do you also dabble in research? Yeah, good question. So so I'm uh, what's called an administrative faculty member. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not tenure track. Um so we do have, uh, I have a research director whose name is Yong Lee. Uh, Yong does lots of research, academic research around entrepreneurship. We have a couple other affiliated entrep- uh, faculty uh, at the center. One is a, a guy named Hans Rawhauser. Hans does lots of academic research around um, um, training around entrepreneurship and how it can help lift people out of poverty. Uh, mm-hmm. He does lots of stuff in Central South America, but he also has done some more recent research around blockchain and how blockchain can be used in different parts of the world um, to help solve societal social problems. Um, and then we have another um, uh, faculty member who's affiliated with the center. His name is Wu Yong Park, mm-hmm. uh, and he does lots of academic research around innovation and how technology innovation, how some companies are successful, some are not, but uh, I don't actually do the academic research. Most of that's gotcha. done by some of our team. Yeah. If that professor can tell me anything about blockchain, that would be great. Yeah. I'm still very confused about the whole process behind, behind it, but it's, it's really interesting to me. Um, so what uh, challenges do you see nowadays in terms of students wanting to be entrepreneurs? What kind of challenges do they face going into the business world now? Well, I mean, I think it's a unique time to start businesses. Yeah. Um, there are definitely lots of tools that have come online that are potentially quite disruptive, not just from an academic, I mean, entrepreneurship standpoint, but in general business. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, some of the tools that have come online in regards to ChatGPT and some of the AI tools can dramatically drive up efficiencies, but Uh they also potentially can cause displacement around different different opportunities or or functions or job functions that, that may not have faced those disruptions in the past. Um, But in general, entrepreneurship is, is, probably going to look somewhat different going forward, mm-hmm. I, I think. Um, they're, especially in the realm of, round, uh, uh, realm of funding. So there are lots of venture groups now that uh, historically might have provided significant amounts of capital up front to start different companies that now think that uh, maybe you don't need 100 engineers. Maybe you need 20 engineers and oh, certain wow. AI tools. And so you could potentially grow companies with much less funding than maybe you would mm-hmm. have had to have in the past. So the implications of some of the current tools that have come online have some pretty significant changes potentially in the way that uh, way that entrepreneurship and scalable startups work. Um, but but also in general, I would say that um, um, uh, oftentimes we we sometimes I think provide information to students or young entrepreneurs that you know you quote unquote should follow your passion. And and I'm not implying that you shouldn't do things that you're not passionate about. But what I am uh, suggesting is that. Sometimes that advice can be a bit of a, a bit tough because the reality is if society doesn't value your passion, then mm-hmm. then you may be passionate and working on something that no one values. And right. so, so making sure that you um, find product market fit on the things that you want to do is incredibly important. So you don't spend a great deal of time and effort on things, frankly, that aren't going to lend. Uh, mm-hmm. You're not going to find a, a market for. Um, but then the other thing is, is young uh, entrepreneurs today are incredibly focused on the societal benefits of companies they start. And that, that's, that's, um, that's incredibly important. I think that's a, a significant shift in mm-hmm. um, the way people think about starting companies. Um, and I think in the meantime, there's going to be lots of 
sorting out, I guess for lack of a better term, what that means, right? So, for example, lots of young students who want to start companies, I'll use a really simple example. They'll start a t-shirt company and they'll, for every t-shirt they'll sell, they'll give away a t-shirt to someone in need, right? And, you know, the reality is, is that sometimes you're better off focusing on something that um, provides benefit to society and making enough money that then you can help directly those people. Right. Um, and so that's the challenge. So that's the challenge that some people have in trying to figure out what companies they start, where they fulfill some sort of inner mm-hmm. goal in terms of helping, but at the same time, um, make enough money where they can be impactful longer term. Exactly. Something that I kind of run into is sustainability. Mm-hmm. Like products that are higher quality and sustainable tend to be more expensive to make. Mm-hmm. So companies, it's hard to adopt that, especially at yeah. the outset. Yeah, it's a great point. I, I think that um, the thing that's interesting to me about sustainability is that if you ask generally yeah. people, um, is sustainability important in your dis- decision making uh-huh. and buying products? Uh, it's almost like a, it's a universal yes. Yes. Right? Um, we want to say yes. To everyone that. wants to say yeah. that, right? I mean, if you ask people, are you a healthy eater? The vast majority will say yes, whether <laughs> they are or not, right? So I, I think that there's some issues in being honest with ourselves. Uh-huh. But also, I think in general, on open-ended questions like that, in terms of sustainability, we make the assumption that people are willing to make sacrifices in the uh, in the air, specifically to do business with more sustainable companies. Mm-hmm. But the research shows that we're only willing to do that to a certain point. Are we willing to pay 5% more? Are we willing to pay 10% more or 15% more or 20% more? And usually relatively quickly, people's um, buying habits don't align with Mm -hmm. what they might say in regards to sustainability. So when you're starting a company, it's not that you shouldn't consider sustainability as part of the mission, but you should understand um, that oftentimes, depending on who the, the, the customer is, that buying decision ultimately will be affected by how much something costs. And yes. while it may be important to them, it is only important to a certain point. And That's so you so have to be incredibly careful uh, in the way that we build companies around sustainability alone. Yeah. It can be a cherry on top. It can be something that can be part of a mission. Um, but if it's the only mission, sometimes it's it's not enough. It's true. It's sometimes these ideas, they take the back burner. Like they become such a long-term goal. Like maybe right now we can't do it, but later on with our goal, we want to be able to have, you know, 50% of our product to be uh, recyclable or sustainable, things like that. Um, But that was my question. Like, are people willing to pay more for a better impact on the world or things like that? The social impact of of the companies that they buy from. Most of the research shows that they, they, they want to be, but if the cost is significantly more or even you yeah. know marginally more then then they have to make choices that uh, that's not going to be the case so that's why i think it's tough to build around that mission alone um ultimately it comes down to are you providing enough value that people are willing to spend their money on something that you provide to them um if and if sustainability is something that's important to them and you also provide value at that price point then maybe it can uh-huh. be part of your mission right it's tough for sure it's tough right so kind of going towards more of the academic side now, mm-hmm. what, where do you see the future of academic education in terms of entrepreneurship heading? You know, it's a really, really good question. And the reason I say that is because I, I, I don't think it's limited to entrepreneurship and some of the significant changes right. that we're going to see around education in general. Um, historically, um, um, traditional academics or traditional academic environments 
Um, we, we have for a very long time been able to provide you with a piece of paper at the end of a program and tell you that that piece of paper has value in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many, many years, that has been the case. Um, I think that the pandemic has probably broken some of those uh, traditional thoughts around traditional academics, uh, academia, mm-hmm. um, because um, um, people have become much more accustomed to receiving the information they want on their own time frame. Right. Um, and oftentimes traditional frameworks of academics are a little more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. I think you see a lot of pushback from students um, saying, look, why do I have to show up every day at four or right. whatever? Why can't I take a significant amount of uh, this information in a more convenient time for me and then work around other things that may or may not be right. in person? On that note, it was just all working from home. I yeah. guess that's where the mentality kind of comes from. Yeah, and I think that um, even before the pandemic at, at the Troche Center, we had reached out to lots of students and said, okay, mm-hmm. what do you want in terms of your academic experience when it comes to entrepreneurship? And most of our students pre-pandemic said, you know, we, we, we still want the case discussions. Uh, we still want the class discussions. We still want to see the speakers mm-hmm. um, because we get a lot of benefit to those. But it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to show up to hear a one-hour lecture on mm. how to write a business plan or a one-hour lecture on how to do a pitch deck. Um, and so even before the pandemic, the Troche Center had started kind of pivoting to where we were providing a bit of a hybrid uh, academic oh, experience wow. so that mm-hmm. students, um, we would, for example, require, if you were taking an academic course, we would require that you might attend somewhere between eight and 10 events during the course of the semester. Um, but the vast majority of the in-class lecture work was recorded and posted online. Um, and so students would attend some of these workshops that we would host at the Trost Center, but they didn't have to be our events. They mm-hmm. could be mm-hmm. events that were hosted by a community partner like Startup NV or by Startup Vegas or the SBDC. And as long as it was related to entrepreneurship, then, then we were okay with that. And so even pre-pandemic, we'd started trying to pivot to where we gave students um, the maximum benefit for their experience um, and and, and valued their time because most of our students at UNLV specifically, most of them work. Um, And if if they're going to come to class, they're foregoing something else that they have an opportunity to do in terms of their job. And so Mm -hmm. um, I I think that that was just a sneak peek as to the direction I think that we're going. And the other thing is, is that in, in, in individual situations, depending on individual motivations or, 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 or access to information, individuals who are motivated to a certain degree can find a lot of information uh, mm-hmm. online. The question is whether or not you still need certification as proof of that, that diploma at the end. Mm-hmm. And in certain technical fields, coding, for example, not so much anymore. I mean, yeah. there are lots of companies now that will, will give you a test. If you're capable of passing the test, they'll interview for a coding position. Um, and so... I think some skill-based things, um, I think I think diplomas or, or degrees all provide a signal to the marketplace in terms of maybe a certain level of intelligence, a certain level of commitment. There's also other signals that it provides to the marketplace. But I think the reality is a certain skill-based positions, uh, it's going to be more about your ability to function as opposed to your credentials. And so I think yeah. those are going to be some pretty significant yeah. shifts over time in the way that we perceive academia um, and the value of academia in the future. Absolutely. So what are some, are there any upcoming events that you guys have? Yeah, so we typically release the week before um, the semester, we release all of our events for the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, we typically add two or three events during the semester as well, depending on who we meet and we think might be of value to students. We host somewhere around 20 events a semester. 
We, we, if anyone's interested, they can go to mm-hmm. uh, Startup Tree and UNLV. It'll take you to our website. It has a list of all of our events, mm-hmm. so you can RSVP for it anytime. And these are not online or recorded, right? So it depends on the event. Okay. Um, many of the events are in person. Right. Um, we do some virtual events. Um, we have recorded some events in the past, and we have made those available on a, on a mm-hmm. web campus site that people can use if they have some interest in some of the events we've recorded in the past. Um, but it, it, it's something that we struggle a little bit with because let me give an example of pre-pandemic. We would host an event, let's say a speaker. Um, we could expect to have somewhere between 40 and 50 people there. Mm-hmm. Post-pandemic, 15, Whoa. maybe 20. So pan- the pandemic has definitely changed people's perception of yeah. in-person versus virtual events. And so um, I think everyone's probably struggling a little bit with engagement when it comes to yeah. pre versus post-pandemic. Uh I read an article on Fortune Magazine just on the way over here about um, the number of people that leave their positions if they're actually called back to full full in-person work. And oh, my God. They would so leave. That they would leave their job. Wow. Um, and so I think in general that's going to change uh, the way that we see – the delivery of, of programming in the future. That's, that's insane. Well, I personally love anything in person. Mm-hmm. I think business should be, I mean, how does it affect networking? Networking to me is all in person. It's all about mm-hmm. being in the room. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. I, I, I think as a general rule in my experience, if I've met customers in jobs, in businesses I've started in the past, if I've met customers mm-hmm. in person, if there's a problem, those customers almost always give me a chance to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. If I haven't met them, then they just disappear and you don't know where they went. And so in-person is still incredibly valuable. And, you know, I, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Absolutely. So going back to a little bit about um, the lessons you've learned over your career. Mm-hmm. Um, as an executive leader, what advice would you give to students who are just starting at the UNLV Lee School of Business? Well, the first thing, if, if I was talking specifically about their academic experience, mm-hmm. so for example, if they're just starting in the business school, one of the most important things to do is to take advantage of all the different things mm-hmm. that your university experience has to offer. Uh, the opportunities that you have when you graduate in terms of potential job opportunities and other things are going to come from networking events that you showed up for. Attending events that you hear people speak, provide insights as to career choices that you may make, join clubs because mm-hmm. those are people that you might work with in the future. And oftentimes what happens is, is we, we get caught in the mission of graduation. And obviously that's the ultimate goal. But I, I do think universities provide a, a significant amount of activity or opportunities outside of the classroom that yeah. a lot of students don't take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my first advice would be find as many things as possible and take part in those things mm-hmm. um, because there's lots of really cool stuff that you can learn from those activities. The other thing I would say is that if you're talking specifically around entrepreneurship is make sure that you understand what that is. Um, oftentimes, I think that um, the the world of entrepreneurship is a bit glamorized. Uh, right, and I right. think that uh, that can sometimes be a bit misleading in terms of what that lifestyle looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 as opposed to being this euphoric experience, it can be, but mm-hmm. it's more often you sleep under your desk because there's too much to be done. Uh, it's rough on relationships because guess what? You're, yeah. you're working a lot. Sleeping uh, in your car. Sleeping in your car. You, you, it's probably rough on credit scores yeah. because at times you've had to do things financially mm-hmm. you wouldn't normally do because you're trying to make get the business off the ground. Right. And so sometimes I think that this this 
misguided way that we look at entrepreneurship sometimes can uh, uh, unfortunately give students the impression that it's something that it's not. I'm not saying it's not awesome. Mm-hmm. I am saying it's hard. Yes, And absolutely. if a student, um, um, sometimes I have students that, that, that I, this is the way I look at it is I'm not trying to convince you to be an entrepreneur. I'm trying to show you what it's like mm-hmm. in some ways. So it increases the likelihood you'll be successful. But I'm also, uh, I don't want you to step off the curb and get hit by the bus because you thought it was something different than it actually was. Exactly. Um, and then the other thing is, is that, you know, we, this whole hustle culture that kind of exists yep. online and social media, it seems to imply that that the universe owes you something for effort. Uh, and there's always this, you know, don't quit one day early or mm-hmm. don't do those kind of things. But if you're working on the wrong thing, you can work as hard as you are, what can for the rest of your life. And guess what? You're never going to be successful. Yeah. So using the tools that you, that are available and the ways to try to figure out customer dynamics, product market fit, those kind of things will increase the likelihood you'll succeed. And that's what we try to incorporate in terms of the tools that we incorporate into some of the stuff Absolutely. that we do. Because you're not automatically going to be rewarded just for yeah. effort. That's not the way it works. Yeah. It's, it's so important that you share all these messages. Um, and if, if I can share one, I, just from my brief experience, is to find a mentor mm-hmm. who can tell you all these things and mm-hmm. tell you the reality, tell you everything that you need, kind of need to know. I think you would be a great mentor because yeah. of all of that. So that's really cool. Well, so to your point of mentorship, I, yeah. my first business partner, um, as I mentioned, he was 25 years older than I was. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I can remember um, going and asking him all these hypothetical questions, right? So I'd be like, well, what do you think this customer, or what do you think they would like, or how do, should we structure this, and da, da, da. And he, one day he said, Leith, I don't know, just call and ask them. And <laughs> that sounds so simple. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's advice that I've used millions of times in my own career, and that I can wonder forever, or I can try and fail, or I can find someone who might know and ask them. And guess what? In five ask minutes, questions. I could have the answer. Yep. And so that's why I think mentorship is important. You can lean on the experience of someone else. But also just generally being inquisitive about the things that you don't know can be incredibly important on on dramatically increasing the likelihood you succeed instead of trying to failing to figure it out. Yes. That's important. It helps with your creativity, keeps you humble, keeps you realistic, keeps you everything that you kind of need to be in business, just asking questions. Yeah, for sure. And being inquisitive about the world, to be honest. Okay. So would you like to play a little lightning round? Of course. Yeah. Okay. So let's get this started. Coffee or tea? Uh, neither, actually. Neither. I, I, I'm almost exclusively, this sounds, uh, I guess, a bit boring, but I'm almost exclusively water. Oh, nice. You that's, will, that's a great alternative. <laughs> you will catch me probably, maybe, almost never will I drink a soft drink. Uh, nice. Um, but maybe a couple times a year, lemonade, but then uh-huh. mostly water. So that's a, I, I understand this was a lightning round, but that was no, a no, you're good. the question. You're good. I, I've, been, I've been loving jasmine tea recently. Mm. It's been so good. Mm. Just mm. relaxing. Uh, anyway, uh, morning person or night owl? So I'm typically a night owl, uh, but it doesn't function very well in my life. So I've been converting to the morning because that's necessary. Yeah. It's really hard when you're a night owl to switch it around. Yeah. Uh, If you had one superpower, what what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. I I think in general, I've always thought, um, not necessarily time travel, because I think there's too much caught up in the risk associated with time travel. Yes. But the ability to be able to teleport anywhere, I think, is something that would be... The, the, the best, right? So yeah. I, I, if I want to go to Australia, I'm there in three seconds yeah. as opposed to, you know, 20-hour flight or whatever it is. Oh, that's, a, that's such a great one. I never even really think of that. Uh, favorite show you're watching? You know, that's a, 
I, I wish I had one. I, I, I've in the past, I've gone through like Narcos and some of the other oh, shows. Nice. But but <laughs> if I'm honest, there's not a single one that I'm like, I cannot wait till the new episode comes out. So right now I don't have one that if you've got a recommendation, I'd be willing to take it because oh I don't have God. a good one right now. I myself, I think I've finished all my shows. Yeah, that's kind of where I am. I, I don't really have yeah. something right now. So. Things are like in the pipeline, I think, but um, I don't know. Yeah, What's me neither. <laughs> I, I don't have anything that I'm just overly excited about at the moment. Absolutely. So. Um, Twitter or X? Listen, I think uh, I, I like X for no other reason mm-hmm. than um, that uh, it just shows that uh, uh, he doesn't care. <laughs> and I don't really know any other way to put it. I mean, That's great. The, the reality yeah. is, is the vast majority of make decisions based on what we're worried about, uh-huh. what people might think, or also what uh, what it, how it might affect our career and our jobs. And so we don't say things or do things because mm-hmm. we're worried we might lose the job or whatever. And you can tell Elon does not care. And, and, and if nothing else, I respect it. I could literally spend the next five hours talking about how much I'm scared to, you know, do things the wrong way. Right. But people do it all the time and they're successful or things right. like that. I don't know. Right. Uh, but yeah, I just saw they had to take down that sign off the building. And I think it's the only so reason funny. he even put it up there was just to, just to it, it seems so bizarre, but it's almost like he's, he's batting around different uh, or groups and saying, I, I'm just playing here. Yeah. So, it's so It's funny. weird. Okay. Uh, if you could start a whole new company, what industry would you want to disrupt? Oh, that's a good question too. So listen, I, 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 in my own career, I had a student ask me this question a few years ago, and it was such a good question. I couldn't even answer the question. The question said, if the student said, if you could tell your 25 year old self something, what would you tell that person? And I told him, I said, look, you got to give me a week to answer this question because mm-hmm. I don't even know what I would say. And so the next week I came back and I said, the first thing I would tell myself at 25 is that, um, Every five years, if I look at my career, I had maximized the potential of that opportunity, right? So if I started a company at five years, I should have, I should have sold it. Mm-hmm. After that, I either got bored or didn't care anymore, or the value changed based on market conditions or whatever it may be. And then the other thing was, is that you cannot out-execute market conditions. So it doesn't matter how good you are. If your market is falling, you will fall with everyone else. And the irony is, is the better you are and the better your team is, the longer you'll survive, but unfortunately right. that's to your detriment because if you'd failed earlier, you would have gone and done something else faster. Oh, interesting. Right. So so when you ask me the question in terms of industry or what industry I'd like to disrupt, mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is, is sometimes overlooked is when you look at certain hype cycles, usually those hype cycles cr- uh, create attraction to the brightest in the world. And so what happens is the brightest and smartest in the world beat each other up mm-hmm. over five to seven years, depending on what that particular hype cycle is. And only the, f- the zeitgeist is that kind of the, the, oh, the maybe so, term? so only so only a few win. Okay, right, right. So if you look at if you look at AI, for example, mm-hmm. the reality is is that there will probably be a few big winners, mm-hmm. um, and it's got a great deal of potential to disrupt lots of industries. Uh, but in terms of the maximum amount of value created, there will probably be a few winners. Yes. But yet they're attracting all the money. They're attracting all the people. So sometimes I think that there are what I call unsexy industries that no one wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to be fill in the blank, mm-hmm. right? a plumber or whatever. And so sometimes industries that are incredibly mature, I think, are ripe for disruption because you can take you know, some fairly sophisticated business principles, um, tools, and other things and make significant changes in those industries. So my next cycle will probably not be in the hype cycle uh, industry. It will probably be something that's a bit boring, 
but uh, right. a bit mature, mm-hmm. but has a great deal of potential. Interesting. Last question. Sure. Uh, what's one skill every entrepreneur should develop? The thing that I like uh, or think is incredibly important is just generally resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and the irony is, is that I don't mean resilience in the face of 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 lack of opportunity. I think the truth is, is sometimes you have to be resilient enough to say this isn't working and go change and do something else. Um, because um, I, I always remember the story this young man was talking about one day. He was trying to get a job, for example, and he had a degree in construction management. He showed up every day, every Friday on this job site to try to get a job, and um, and um, uh, no one would ever see him. And he'd bring a resume. He'd show up at the job site. He'd give it to the security guard. The security guard would say thank you. He would leave, and nothing would ever happen. So he did this every week for like six or seven or eight weeks. And finally, the guy that was running the job site called and said, are you this young man that shows up every Friday and tries to disrupt my job in order to get a job here? And he says, yes, that's me. And he says, Mm -hmm. I love it. (laughs) You have a job. (laughs) So my point is, is that in general, resilience is incredibly important when it comes to entrepreneurship, because the truth is, if you look at the risk associated with success, it's too high. Gotcha. Um, and so resilience, I think, is incredibly important. Awesome. Awesome. So just closing out the show, um, I just want to highlight some of the events that you already already mentioned, but we'll just uh, refer to them one more time. So if you're interested, you can uh, look for the, I think one of the earliest ones is the Entrepreneurship Bootcamp. Yep. Uh, three days, one day per week in the fall. You can go to unlv.startuptree.co slash discover slash events to just look up the details of that. I read that you can, if you attend all three sessions, you get $100 on your Rebel card. Yep. It's awesome. <laughs> yep, we added that as, a, as an incentive, I guess, to attend all the events. Those cool. Events. That's awesome. And then if you want to learn more about the Trosh Center, you can go to entrepreneurship.unlv.edu. Thank you so much, Leith, for being here today. I had a great time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening to The Pivot Point. You can follow us at Pivot Point UNLV on Twitter, all one word, and hope you enjoyed the show.